Welcome to See Our Studies. Join us each week as we take a deep dive into the Word of God, start a conversation, and discuss how it applies to our lives today. All right, guys, we're back here for the uh, second half of the Romans chapter 4 on When in Rome. I got John and Devin with me again. Um, we'll jump into this in a second, but I was just asking you guys a question about television, so I'm just going to lead into this here for a minute. Um, Crystal and I have been doing like rewatches of some of our favorite like TV shows. What kind, What are your like TV shows that you're like super into or have been into in your life? I mean, there's classics like The Office and Parks and Rec. Both great shows. Big fan. Yeah, I think. How many times have you seen The Office in its entirety? Like four or five times. Yeah. Probably at least. May, not much more than that, but. Yeah, it depends on whether you're talking actively watch or background noise it's watch. It's a great background noise yeah. show. Crystal and I, this is going to make us sound like huge winners. Um, we've probably seen the entire series at least 16 or 17 times, mm-hmm. start to finish. Nice. Um, we've competed in trivia competitions, <laughs> um, and we have uh, the Dunder Mifflin Fun Run, Meredith Palmer, Rabies Awareness, Race for the Cure t-shirts nice. that we wear on trivia nights. So, um, Although, when we got them printed, we didn't realize at the time, it's supposed to say at the beginning something about Scranton, and it says Scantron. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever caught nice. it. Nice. So there's that. Any others? Uh, I, I like IT Crowd a lot. Yeah, that's okay. a good one. It's yep. a lot shorter because it didn't get – it was really good, but they just kind of lost the passion to make it, is what they <laughs> said. So they it, – it doesn't have a lot of episodes, but they're really good. That is a weird group of dudes. Yeah. Yep. Very bizarre. Mm-hmm. Any others for you? I don't know. I, I don't watch TV a whole lot anymore, but, yeah. like, back when I did watch a lot of TV, um, I used to watch Buffy all the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've seen that start to finish at least seven times. Um, I may have seen one episode of that in my lifetime. Oh, I love it. It's I've also never seen the Twilight movies, which some people oh, freak no. out over. No, no, no those are garbage. You don't uh-huh. need to see <laughs> Those are so things. bad. Those are bad. No. Where do we been, we've been rewatching Seinfeld lately. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, it holds up pretty well. It's not bad. Mm-hmm. Unlike Friends, maybe unpopular opinion, but like Seinfeld is still very watchable today where I don't think Friends is. See, that's what I think is the genius of The Office. You know, yeah. Greg Daniels was like, hey, let's make a show that you can never really tell when it was made. <laughs> could have been today, could have been in the 60s, 70s, 80s. You have no idea. Uh, yeah, I love it. It's good stuff. All right, so if you're out there listening to us in, I don't know, the podcast world, um, you know, maybe maybe check out Seinfeld or, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, all right, moving on. Let's go into Romans chapter 4. We did verses 1 through 12 before. We're going to look at verses 13 through the end. So we'll just kind of go bit by bit and read this and kind of discuss what jumps out. Uh, Again, if you're following along, this is a part of a program we call Wednesdays at Crossroads, and we do a bunch of different classes. Uh, One of those classes has been uh, kind of looking at the book of Romans and walking through that with a group of people. It's a variety of teachers, and two of those teachers are John and Devin. Um, While they're doing that, I get to teach a class called Equip Bible, which is super fun, one of my favorite classes. Um, So, yeah, that's been going on uh, amongst other Bible studies that we have uh, happen at, at the same time. So this is just kind of a follow-up to that for anybody who uh, maybe missed something or maybe you just want to dive into Romans a little bit with us. So I'm just going to start with the first uh, couple of verses, and we'll just kind of pick up from there and talk about what um, what we see in the text. 
So starting in verse 13, it says, uh, for the promise of Abraham or to his descendants that he, sorry, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise nullified because the law produces wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. So, what you got? John, you want to start? Uh, sort of, and then I'll... Devin, did you find the, the notes? Or did mm-hmm. you, okay. The, actually, Devin had a really awesome point at the start of this. I wanted to, like, defer to her. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mean the, the prophecy part of it? About the, like the, the, heir. the Old Testament promise yeah. kind of being the shadow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so back in Genesis, when that promise was made to Abraham, it had physical borders. So it wasn't heir to the world. It was heir to the promised land to, to Abraham. And um, I think that's just like a great way of like showing an imperfect shadow in the Old Testament of something that would be made perfect in Christ because mm. that heir is Christ and he is the heir to the world. Um, Cause you see that in Psalm two where like God is saying, I will make you my son um, and you will inherit the world. Uh, yeah. So that, that was, yeah. I just thought that was a great point and I, I had it here. I wanted to make sure we didn't gloss over that because it was so perfect for like the first part. Um, Paul spends a lot of time really hammering in, like, I won't say the deficiencies of the law, but what the law does and what it does not do and the misconceptions of it. So the, the promises of God he talks about here not being through the law but through faith. There in verse 14, um, if it's through the law, then the, fa- then the promise is void. Because mm-hmm. if it's through the law, then we have a legal kind of contract we have to uphold so if it depends on us, generation by generation, to uphold the law, then that, that promise has long been void because it's been broken over and over again. But the, the beauty of it being by faith means that the promises of God don't depend on us. They depend on God. They yeah. depend on His grace. And God is the only thing that is timeless and trustworthy. So... If a promise depends on something, I'd much rather depend on him than depend on me. Yeah, which again goes back to even like the usage of Abraham. When you get back to the Abrahamic covenant, I mean, that's how it is established. You get God and Abraham there, and they're going to enter into a covenant. And at the last minute, God kind of takes Abraham out of the equation and says, I'm going to fulfill both ends of the covenant. So um, usually you had two people in a covenant, and you were like, well, if you mess up, this is what's happening to you. If I mess up, this is what will happen to me. But in this particular covenant, God just goes, whether you mess up and, and miss it or I do, which obviously is not on the table, God's not going to make <laughs> the mistake, um, I'm going to take the punishment. And so you get kind of the foreshadowing of the gospel of, of, of yeah. Christ, of the cross, and all that kind of stuff. And so, like, seeing that even here, like, to kind of the point you're, you're making— um, you, you can see a little bit more why, why Paul would use Abraham as the example because they would they would get that. They would understand this idea that the covenant was going to be established through God and not based on me. Or at least you would think they would get it. I mean, yeah. obviously they struggle with it because they keep trying to lean back into the law. Why do you guys think that we have such a inclination 
to lean back into the laws, rules, and standards um, for justification as opposed to really receiving grace. We talked about this in one of my classes last night, but, you know, why do you think we have this? St- you would think that if somebody went, not the law that saves you, you can be freed from that, you'd be great. Yeah, I'll, right. I'll, I'll walk away from that. Ooh, praise but, God. <laughs> yeah, but, you, but we don't. We keep going back to it. I think there's a couple reasons for that. I think one is uh, our pride, like as human beings, like that's part of it. You don't want to, you don't want to submit to humility. Right. Um, you want to be like proud of something you've earned. Yeah. Um, but I think the other thing is like, even if someone like pays for your dinner, like one night at a restaurant unexpectedly, mm-hmm. you feel a sense of obligation to pay them back somehow. Right. I'll get the next one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's just a something that's built into us. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I see that a little bit as a slightly different angle on the first part about pride. It's kind of like, I think there's, in, in God giving us morals or putting his kind of rule in our heart, I do think we have a certain natural, like, penance that we want to pay like hey i messed up i want to make it right i think that is also part of natural being a human that sometimes it's a little hard just to accept that free grace to say well i do feel like i still owe you something and i I think part of that's just a good thing that god gave us for actual like wanting to make things right with people that we've wronged Mm -hmm. but that also makes it a little hard for us to like accept it when it goes the other way yeah, and let's be honest, as humans, we love to keep scores. So um, if I know that I've kept, you know, 37 laws today and you only did 12, then I can be like, man, I'm so much better than John. <laughs> I, I mean, we love to use things as like some sort of like scales of comparison um, instead of like, but we always want to compare down in that situation. Like what we're yeah. supposed to do is compare to the standard of, you know, be imitators of Christ, be mm-hmm. imitators of God. And instead of going, well, that well, that standard's unattainable, so I'll, I'll try to compare it to somebody I don't think is doing a really good job so that in my pride I can feel better about myself. Um, there's a couple of words that, that stand out in here that I think bear kind of like uh, unpacking um, together. Um, so there's there's righteousness, which, you know, being, being made right, and we can talk more about that. I'm going to ask you all a question at the end of this, but um, let's talk about the word faith for a minute and the word transgression. Um, I don't know in y'all study because uh, again I, we don't, we're not always in the same study on Wednesday night. Did you guys get into kind of any definition of those things? Yeah, we did. Actually, just like looking at there, verse fifteen, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's a a thing that probably can get taken out of context a lot. Transgression is really just about overstepping a boundary. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes sense that there's no boundaries, then you can't ever overstep a boundary. But obviously, we, we have plenty of boundaries, and not just the Mosaic law. We have moral law that God's given us. Sure. So we have boundaries defined that we definitely can you know, cross, and that's really all the transgression aspect is. But in faith, you, know, you can just say sim- the simplest version of that is belief, that I believe in something, therefore I have faith in it. But faith, I think, is more than that. It's when you believe something, it should affect your behavior and the way that, mm-hmm. you, that you act. I think we tend to think of faith as like hope in the sense of like, I hope something will happen, but I'm not counting on it. It's more of like a desperation. Man, I really hope this happens this week. Um, 
where faith should be more about like, hey, because I believe this, I'm going to live a certain way. Yeah. It's like the analogy I tend to use is like, you put faith in things every day. Like if I'm going to Costco, I have a lot of faith that the bridge over 66 to Rockwall is going to, you know, stand up and not send me to like a watery death. <laughs> if I didn't believe that, that was a very, I would find was a very pirate-like <laughs> way to say that. I'm practicing my piracy. <laughs> <laughs> if I didn't believe that, I'd find a different route. Yeah. Right. But because I have faith in that bridge to get me there, I'm going to drive over it. I'm not really going to think twice about it. So. What about you? Transgression, faith. Well, faith. I, um, I, I went into a rabbit hole about the Greek word for it is uh, pistis, which um, Paul quoted, I think I mentioned last time, uh, Habakkuk, mm. saying the righteous will live by faith. But he's quoting the Greek version of the Old Testament, which the Hebrew version says um, faithfulness. Mm. But in Greek, that word pistis means the same thing. Okay. So faith to me isn't just belief, although like that's part of it, but I think a big part of it is an action. Just faith without works is dead. Faith mm-hmm. isn't something you just have. It's something you do and you act on. Yeah, I think, and y'all both said this, I think, really well. I mean, like, uh, you've got belief, and belief is belief is, is good. I mean, it's, it's definitely a starting point for faith, but your faith is taking it a step further, right, where belief can simply be, like, intellectual agreement like the demons believe in god right and that the bible says that demons believe in god and shudder so they intellectually agree that he is god um where they fall short is in taking the step of that that intellectual agreement leads to a change in behavior a transformation a movement in our life into i um, i'm going to talk about this this coming sunday which uh you guys in the podcast <laughs> uh, it'll be after uh it'll be before this airs so you can't cheat sorry um uh, it yeah, i kind of define it i like to use very kind of practical terms like um bold steps into an unknown future using uh reliable information so like uh, it's it there's an implication of movement that that i'm going into something that is unknown but i'm as i go there i am it is based on reliable information that i believe i can trust so God often calls us to step into the unknown, but it's not that we don't know anything. We don't know what that next step may do, but we know that the person who asked us to take the step can be trusted. So there's a difference there. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you yeah. were standing in the dark and she was somewhere else, she goes, hey, I know you can't see, but just walk straight forward. I've already been there. You you know you can trust me. We've been married for a while. There's nothing there. You can, you can trust that and you can take those steps, but... Your confidence is based on your relationship, not yeah. based on being able to see the steps. Um, and I think a lot of times that's really where we we have a better understanding of like how to move in that faith. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I think um, mention mentioning marriage. I think that's another reason why um, the church being married to Christ is there. Yeah, because it is like a relationship with it that you need to be faithful in. Yeah. And Jason, you hit on something that, like, I'm really passionate about. You, you mentioned reliable information. Yep. I think in today's world, people tend to, at least unbelievers and maybe scoffers, want to poke at faith and say it's this mystical thing yep. that you have no reason to believe what you believe. It's blind faith. Blind faith, exactly. But the truth is that God has given us every reason to put 
our trust in him. Yep. God has never once asked us to have blind faith in him. He's given us probably way more reasons than we could ever actually count to, to have that kind of faith in him, to have that reliable information to yep. go take that next step. Yeah. I love that. And then and then at the same time, trespass, which I think this begins to unpack not only the weight of sin, but the grace of God. Like you said this a minute ago, like this is a boundary that you that you knowingly crossed. A lot of times like people will come in and they'll want to talk or even in my own life, you know, you do something, and you go, oh, I made a mistake. You know, I've had people, you know, that I've counseled that have said, hey, I, I had an affair or, um, you know, I, I said this, you know, and it was hurtful to somebody, whatever, whatever the case may be. And they go. I screwed up. I made a mistake. And I go, well, hold on. That's, that's not a mistake. Like, if you had an affair, right. you didn't trip. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's not how affairs happen. You made a conscious choice, and this is where tre- trespass is. Like, I knew the boundary. I knew where it was. I willfully stepped across it mm-hmm. and entered into a territory and to a situation that I knew was in complete rejection of what God wanted for my life. The thing that amazes me about that is when people do that to us as humans, we go, well, you're an idiot and I'm not going <laughs> to trust you or, or, you know, our relationship is, is not going to be the same. And God go, I mean, like we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but we are made alive in Christ. Like he forgives Colossians 2, uh, two talks about he will forgive our trespasses. He doesn't just forgive our mistakes, our, you know, whoopsies or whatever you want to call them. He forgives our outright rebellion, which yeah. is incredible to me when you think about it. Yeah, and one thing that I've actually loved just in Romans in general, um, I think sometimes we don't give that enough like weight to think about like outside of Christ, you are actively in rebellion to God. Yeah, he says uh, I, f- I forget where it is in Romans, but like while we were yet enemies, yeah. you know, Jesus died for us. It's like well, enemies means you're kind of at war. Yeah, right. So there's a very real reality. Like, reality of like it's not just that someone's an unbeliever it's in that unbelief you are literally in rebellion against the creator of all things yeah and we think about that from our perspective i love how the gospel of john turns it towards god's perspective in the first chapter of the gospel of john it's that he he came to a world like that he created and, and yet the world did not recognize him like we think about like we rebelled against him, but like imagine God's perspective. Like God created the world, He created people, He puts them into the world, and then He walks into it, and w- like we don't recognize yeah. Him. Mm-hmm. Like imagine if Stan Lee came to a, like a Marvel convention. And <laughs> right. recognize- I mean, now it'd be weird because I love dead, but. <laughs> the incredible <laughs> depth of both cool and nerdy that that went into. <laughs> that was really good. My other example was Steve Jobs. In my head, I was like, well, they're both dead. <laughs> no offense to Stanley. Steve Jobs. Uh, so let's move on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read um, the rest of this and, and uh, the rest of this chapter, and then we can, we can talk through uh, whatever parts you guys would like to. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is the father in God's sight, in whom Abraham believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken. So your, uh, so will your descendants be. Verse 19. He did not 
weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old and also the deadness of his of Sarah's womb he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised he was also able to do therefore it was credited to him for righteousness now it was uh, yeah sorry it was credited to him for righteousness now it was credited to him for uh, excuse me now what was credited I cannot read <laughs> now it was credited to him was not written for Abraham alone but also for us it will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So just to go into the first part of that, you've got all this stuff of the promise of faith and descendants and all this stuff, and I never want to assume that people know what we're talking about here. Um, Devin, do you want to maybe kind of begin to unpack some of that? Like what he's, what does this hold this language about Abraham and descendants and father of many nations and all that kind of stuff? Well, he had many sons. <laughs> um, and many sons had <laughs> Father Abraham. Um, I think it, I mean, it's saying that Abraham's not just father of Jews. Um, it's father of many nations so that you don't have to be Jewish in order to believe in the same God. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it's going back, I mean, it's going back to Genesis, right? So, like, this is a promise. If you don't know the story of Abraham and his wife Sarah, like, they're um, very old when God comes and says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And the predominant problem on top of age with that is, what do they not have? Children. They have no children. They have kids. They don't have kids. And, and you would go like, we're kind of past that season of our life. Um, and, and yet they end up having a child, and there's much, much more to that story. Uh, but... That's what he's he's talking about, that reality. When God says, I'm going to make a promise, God's going to fulfill that promise. Um, John, what, what do you get from this section as we look at the beginning of this? Well, one thing I really like is Paul's just consistent use of Scripture. Mm -hmm. So when he tries to make a point, you know, he's not just arguing a point. He goes back to the truth of God's Word to kind of point out, Hey, like this is what God said. I would make you the father of many nations. Mm -hmm. It's not just the Jewish nation, but you would be the father of many nations. So when you kind of take a step back and maybe reread it with a fresh perspective, I don't know how they were reading it back then, but it seems like something like this might have stood out to say, hey, he's right. Abraham was said he'd be the father of many nations. So it kind of seems like there should be more than just you know, Israel. Now maybe they interpreted that over time to be just many, many Israelites as opposed to really many people amongst the world. Well, and keep in mind, like we talked about this last week, the word nations and the word Gentiles is the same word. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I think, I think we are getting, like, it is this calling because it, I mean, Paul himself was going to draw to application, right? So he's yeah. going to pull, he's going to pull from history and then he's going to, at the end of this, he's going to go, and this also means us. Like, and of course he's talking to a, a Roman audience that is predominantly Jewish and going, he's talking to us. And then Paul also is very much called to the Gentiles. So he's talking to them too. And so he's like, this is for, this is for all of us as a group. This is, this is important for us. Um, I, I really love, um, and I don't know what all you guys got into in your study. I'd love to hear. Um, it says, you know, starting in verse 
Verse 17. I'll back up, actually. Verse 16. This is why the promise. Um, this is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to those um, who are of the law, but also of those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of all of us, as it is written, "I have made you the father of many nations." And then it says, "He is our father in God's sight, in whom Abraham believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist." So there's substance right there to like where his faith, excuse me, where his faith is coming from. That Abraham, it's not that blind faith like we talked about. Like Abraham's faith is based on something. And he's giving us a clue right now as to what it's based on. And he says, this is the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. What is he talking about? Create something out of nothing and bring dead things to life. Yeah, I mean, I think the first most obvious thing is creation itself, that he literally spoke, you know, the universe into existence. Um, he, he called things that do not exist. But then I think within their own story, right, they're, he's 100 years old. Sarah's presumably about the same age, has never had a kid, has like a dead womb, as they would say. Mm-hmm. And the promise they're being given is you're going to be the father of many nations, and he's literally bringing her like wound back to life yeah or to life for the first time if she never had kids well and yeah and look at this i mean he's uh, without getting too deep into the biology of this like abraham's not exactly uh fertile himself or virile himself i mean like he's 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 much older uh in his life and because i mean it even even talks about the the you know he did not weaken in faith even when he considered his own body to already be dead and so when he's talking about both of them he's like there is deadness to our ability to produce life at this point. Yeah. And so that's the dead to life. What's the create something that did not exist? Any idea what he's aiming at? Well, there's children. There's yes, yeah, absolutely. Children. Yeah. yeah. Devin, what about you? What do you get out of this section? Um, I think, I think we, we kind of started talking about it last week after we stopped recording, I think. Um, but I love like Abraham's faith here. He doesn't seem to have faith in like what God can do because it seems physically impossible. Mm. But he does have like faith and trust in who God is and he knows that even though physically humanly it's impossible what God is saying, he is choosing um, not to lean into his unbelief. He is choosing to put his faith and trust and belief in who God is, not just what he's saying. Um, so I think that... Uh, well, I think, so what I love about that is I do think even today, there is such a natural tendency to fall in love with God for what he can do for you yeah. as opposed to for who he is. Right. So I love that point. Um, I didn't mean to mess up your train of thought, but... Um, <laughs> It's okay, uh, but I think um, back to like faith and faithfulness, and it being an action. Um, it says that like his his faith was uh, did not weaken when he considered, and no unbelief made him waver. Instead, he grew strong and became fully convinced. I think day by day, like making the choice to trust and put your faith in Jesus strengthens that faith every time and every time he made the decision to believe instead of giving into that doubt 
is what eventually led to fully convinced. Um, it also reminded me of um, that passage in Mark 9. It's like, God, I believe, help my unbelief. unbelief. That's weird. I thought about that just a second ago, yeah. too. Um, that, like, the, like, now I can't even remember all of what that story is, but, like, that guy, like, he knew yeah. who and what Jesus was, but he didn't quite believe that, like, this impossibility could happen. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I love the honesty of that, and I think when it comes to our faith, that's that's where a lot of us, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, that's where we land. Like, I so desperately want to believe, and there's there's so much of that I do believe, yeah. but there is still this doubt lingering mm-hmm. in my head. And yeah. so, he's, you know, God, I believe, because it almost sounds like, a, like some sort of a weird oxymoron yeah. or a contradiction where you're like, help, I believe, help my unbelief. But I think that's a practical reality of humanity, though. Yeah. I think it's important to remember that faith is never the absence of all doubt. Right. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You're choosing to trust regardless of that doubt. And I think that's an area we've been into in the study. Uh, skipping ahead just a little bit. Don't want to mess anything up, though. Um, like I said, he didn't weaken in faith, right? He actually grew stronger in his faith. So we actually we do see that faith can waver and faith can be weakened, but faith can also be strengthened. Sure. And it's, it's about choices that we make. And the story I, I love a lot is um, in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I, may, I maybe said the last one wrong, but I feel like I always do. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I love their story of faith, how for anyone not familiar, they're basically told you have to bow down. Every time we play all this music, you have to bow down and worship a big gold statue. And these are faithful worshipers of God who people are jealous of. And so they kind of get tattled on that they're not doing it. And King Nebuchadnezzar gives them one chance and says, hey, you're going to bow down or else I'm going to throw you in the fire. And their response, it's actually not the, um, basically their response is, hey, we know that our God can save us from you. But where the awesome part of that story is, is the next line, yep. which is, but even if he, he doesn't, <laughs> then basically we will die knowing that we we're faithful to our God. And that's like they had no assurance. Like God didn't tell them, hey, it's okay. Just be really zealous for me and I'll save you. You know, they they knew they could have died in that fire, but they chose no matter what, even in that situation, to trust God above all else, that even if they died, that their eternity was far more important than their present reality. Well, and it's difficult for people to get this in, in our heads today, but they had, we have a very short-term view of existence. Um, culturally, they they had a much more long-term view of existence. I, I, I mean, most most cultures and civilizations have. Uh, you know, it's the whole idea of the, um, you know, blessed is a man who plants a tree that it will never sit in the shade of, that kind of thing. Like, I'm doing this for something else. But also for us as believers, like, the promise of God, the ultimate promise of God for us in salvation is that eventually we go to be with him eternally in heaven. And so for, for Nebuchadnezzar, he, he, he's thinking, you know, death is this doorway to get them to do what I want. But for Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they're going, that death is a doorway into paradise with God. So like, if you shut us down here, like it's, you know, it's Paul, you know, to live as Christ and to die as gain, right? Yeah. And when you understand how how anchored to eternity your faith in God makes you, 
then your endurance goes up significantly. Mm-hmm. And they had seen God do some really amazing things because it grow, you know, it, our faith grows over time. Um, I'm use an illustration when we when I teach on faith this coming week, and weirdly I talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also, so <laughs> it's awesome. Um, this is kind of a dual podcast. It's like when in Rome, and also a follow up to the faith conversation from Sunday. Um, but what I what I think is is cool is like like when you guys first got married, for example, um, how long have you known each other? Like now, at this point, like 12, 13 years. Okay, and how long are you married? It'll be 10 years in a month. Okay. And how much faith, Devin, did you have in John the day that you got married? I mean, I'm probably a really bad example. <laughs> I had quite a bit. Okay. Would you say it's grown? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Because, I mean, it's been 10 years. Right. So you've gone through some stuff. You've had some experiences. You've seen his character get revealed over time. And it deepens your faith in your relationship with him. Don't you think the same is true when our relationship with God? Like we come to God and we go, God, I believe in you and I love you. And then 10 years later, you're like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea how big those statements were. And then eventually you die and you go, oh, I only had a glimpse <laughs> in life. It's so much grander and bigger than I ever thought. And really this, getting into Romans 8 territory. They, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> but you get this bigness of where our faith leads us. Because you wonder why, why they have the courage to have the faith that they do. Because... It's anchored to something, mm-hmm. and there's significance to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that when you when you really have that eternal view, mm-hmm. right, it should put a lot of things in perspective. Unfortunately, I think as humans, we've lost that over time. Yeah, we have such like a short attention span. We want things here and now. But I, I mean, I can definitely say in my own walk with God, like, yeah, early on the things I struggle with are not the same things anymore because I've seen how God can work in our life. And that's also, it gives me more confidence and faith for the next step when things are challenging to say, Hey, I know this might be difficult, but I know that this is, I know this is the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So at the end of this, he says, therefore it was credited to him as righteousness. And then it says, now it was credited to him was not, written uh, for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespass and raised for our justification. Now, obviously, in the exact context, he is speaking to a first century audience in Rome. Um, but I believe, I mean, there's clearly we can apply this to our lives today. So what does that mean? What is this, what is this offering us? Well, I think ultimately, ultimately, it's not just that righteousness is for Abraham, it's righteousness is for all of us in the same way that Abraham was righteous. Mm. So all of us, so we have Jesus here in verse 24, and it'll be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, that for all of us who has faith in God, who raised Jesus from the dead, that, and with that, you know, for our trespasses and our justification, that we have the same faith that Abraham had. So I think, I think a lot of this chapter is Paul basically trying to make this one simple argument. Like, we're saved the exact same way that Abraham was. Yeah. You just don't, it just isn't the mechanism that you thought it was. It wasn't the law, it was faith. Yeah. It always was faith, 
It's faith today, and it's going to continue to be faith for all of us. Yeah, I remember growing up in church, and I was taught for years, well, in the Old Testament, they were saved by keeping the law, and in the New Testament, we are saved by faith in Christ. And it wasn't until I got much older that I was like, that's incorrect. That's not what it says. That is not, that is not right at all. <laughs> and, but I do think there's a lot of people who still believe that today. They think, you know, that, well, the Old Testament had a different kind of uh, vehicle for salvation, and the, the New Testament is looking backwards the whole time going, no, it, it doesn't. Yeah, like God's kind of coming back with like, hey, I'm just going to I'm gonna clear some things up here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I knew people um, like 15 plus years ago that said like, well, for the Jews, it's still how it was in the Old Testament, which is the law. Mm. But yeah, it wasn't until like I actually sat down and, and read it for myself um, instead of just taking people's word for it. I was like, oh, no, that's incorrect. Um but I lo- I, yeah, it actually reminds me of something I meant to say back in verse 13 of like the promise. Mm. Um, if it, we were talking about like works, if it is like in any way by works, if anyone in like the history of the world outside of Jesus came to righteousness through works, then the entire promise is void and Christ died for nothing. Because then it's, then it's possible. Yeah. If one person can do it, then other people should be able to do it. Absolutely. It nullifies the point of the cross. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another thing this made me think of, so kind of even starting back towards the very beginning, like looking back at verse 3, what does the scripture say? Um, then he goes into David, and he kind of quotes from Psalms. Then he quotes, you know, goes back to Genesis about the promise made to Abraham. One thing that I thought about a lot as we read and prepared for this chapter was like, you know, these are a group of people that have had, like Moses would have written down all this stuff somewhere around, let's say 1500-ish BC, give or take 100 to 200 years. Um, by this point in time, let's just call it 1500 years that they've been passing this down, you know, teaching it, reteaching it, but not necessarily examining what they've been taught. And I don't know exactly where that happened. It could be the intertestinal period of that period of silence. It could have started even before then. But it just kind of underscored to me the importance of, like, why everyone needs to read this stuff for themselves. Yeah. And, like, the like commentary is great, and listening to sermons is great, and hearing people who know a lot about it is all good. But, like, you also need to read it and chew on it a little bit because I think that when Paul would have written some of this stuff, it might have been a little bit of a light bulb moment of, like, Oh, it did say that he believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Why has no one ever really done a sermon on that? Right. Right, because they would just read the whole, you know, they would like, that was their, like, method of sermon. They would just read it. But you'd think over time somebody might catch that and go, are we doing this wrong? Mm-hmm. But they didn't until, you know, very radical events came in the life of Jesus that made people really rethink and then get inspired by the Holy Spirit to kind of point these things out that were always true from the beginning. Yeah, that's good. Well, at the end, he's, he's sharing all this for us, and then he uses um, another word that I just want us to spend a little time on. It's a very churchy word. We hear it a lot, but it has so much depth and meaning. He says that he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We talked about what our trespasses are. What is our justification? What is that word getting into it just means being made right with God 
that now I am justified. Like, if I'm going to court, I'm either going to be found guilty of what I've been charged of or I'm going to be justified. <laughs> justified. <laughs> Sorry, I just, like, smacked the mic. Attack the microphone. <laughs> You're very passionate about justification. That's okay. Uh, I'm either going to be found guilty or I will be justified of the offense. All right, so this is just being made right in the eyes of God. I'm, I'm justified. I've accepted Christ. I'm now in right standing with God. Yeah, so some people will, would say, like, well, how can God be just and gracious simultaneously? Uh, if God is just and sin all requires punishment uh, and death, and, um, and yet Jesus offers me grace, isn't he letting us off for free? So how do you reconcile that for people? Well, it wasn't free. Is is the thing? Yeah, the the justification. Is, what he went through, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. my whole point. I don't want people to miss. Yeah, like there there was a very significant fine that did get paid, but we didn't pay it. Yeah. It yeah, I mean the the Old Testament law, right? It comes with a death penalty, mm-hmm. and a death penalty was paid. Yeah. And it was paid by Jesus. And yeah. So God is fully just. His justice, His wrath was poured out. And that just as that penalty was paid, and that is what enables us to have grace. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Um, somebody else paid the penalty for us. Now, justification to me is such a, a beautiful word. It's because it just, it, you know, we, we talk about forgiveness, and forgiveness is, a, is, is such a powerful thing. But you both have probably, as a, as a married couple, you've had disagreements, and you're like, I forgive you. But, you know, you remember also. <laughs> you're like, I got that in the back of my head next time. You know, justification. Don't give her any ideas. <laughs> <laughs> justification is the erasing of this. Like, it's, it's as if it didn't happen. Um, and that, to me, is, like, I can't even fathom that as a human being because I don't, I don't have the capacity for that. Because um, I am not God, clearly. Yeah, and actually, it, it reminds me. I'm gonna go back into the the first half a little bit. Yeah. In the in the psalm that it quotes there about, um, I, I'm trying. Sorry, I'm trying to find it really quick. Verse seven. Seven and eight. Um, I can't. Uh, bless. It's verse seven. So blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. I don't remember the Greek word for this, but I remember looking into it. Hmm. And that sins are covered, it was like they're covered in a way that actually makes it where you cannot see them. Gotcha. So it's like basically like having your back to something, like you can't actually even see it anymore. Which goes like, like for actually forgiving of our sins and forgetting about it. You know, we like to say in church, you've been separated from your sin as far as the east is from the west. Right. Even in this psalm, it's saying like your sin is dealt with in a way that God is no longer even able to see it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's really powerful. So Romans chapter 4 uh, kind of lands us there. I mean, there's a lot in there, but ultimately, like you said, there is a kind of a, a simple thing that God is trying to get at, that we are um, we are justified by faith um, the same way that God has always done it. You said that a couple of times now. Um, God is the, the same as he always has been. That method hasn't changed. Um, and that being justified by faith um, is the promise. It is the hope. It is what anchors us to God. It is what anchors us to eternity. Um, all those kind of things which um, really should drive us into, when you realize all that God has done for us, um, it should drive us into an active faith of living out what God has called us to. Um, 
Well, good stuff, guys. Um, there's going to be there's a bunch of man. There's so much more to go through in Romans. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to go through the rest of it um, because we have barely scratched the surface. Uh, I mean, I mean, Romans eight is my favorite. Um, <laughs> I'd sure love to get to that. But for right now, we're going to wrap up for today. So, to John, Devin, and myself, you guys have a great day, and we'll see you soon.